and a fascinating part of Scripture um, because the context is Paul's writing this while he's in chains to the church in Ephesus, while he's looking at soldiers, while he's looking at armor. And I just wanted, my first thing when I was reading to this is that um, it's no, it's not like Paul was sitting there and thinking, how do I describe the Christian walk? Oh, look, there's a soldier. Maybe I'll just try and make it work into like the armor. The thought behind each of these different things, the, the thought behind this illustration, he would have spent ages trying to work it in. And, and the whole idea of our walk and, and being in a fight is more than just like a nice idea. This was Paul looking at his current situation, looking at the situation in the different churches, looking at what was going on and going really deep into this, this word picture. Um, and it applies to us so, so clearly in this context of where we are right now. Um, so we're going to read it first, and then I'm going to say a little bit about um, what what it means. So if you have your Bibles, you can fully rip them out or on your phones. Oh, that's right. Everyone's got phones now. Fantastic. Um, Ephesians 6.10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and His mighty power. I'm going to read it from mine as well. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything to stand, stand firm. Then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the belt breastplate of righteousness in place, and he goes on to say the rest of the armor. But I just want to, can anyone kind of pick out a specific verb that happens frequently towards the end there? Like a, a certain stance that people might have? Anyone? Standing. Stand. It's, it's actually really, like if reading it in English, stand is in there more than you would expect it in a regular sentence. He says, um, do everything to stand, then stand. And stand firm, which I think is, is, is amazing that here's this guy who is speaking to a church that's in a huge city that is in a very progressive, very center of everything kind of city in, an, in a situation where they're oppressed by the Roman Empire while he's in prison for like a nothing crime and his advice is to stand firm. Just think, think for a second how you would, how you would handle it if you were, say, Pete Casey, if you were arrested and you were in prison for nothing, you didn't do anything wrong, and you were sitting there, would your initial response be, I'm just going to stand and just chill because this is okay? If you were anything like me, I would be, I'd be pretty fiery if I, w- I would like seeking justice and I'd want to like tear down the walls and I'd want to want to get really aggressive but then Paul writing this he says about standing but even more crazy than that he says our fight is not against flesh and blood but against power and principalities of this dark world he's speaking in prison while in chains very physically in chains saying this is not this is not what it's about there's so much more going on than this. I think that's a, an amazing a view into how much 
thought and prayer would have gone into this illustration that he's giving. It would have been so much easier to say, put on the armor of God, grab a sword and go kill some people. Because people were ready and raring for that. They're in an oppressed country. They're ready to, to, to rise up. But here's this guy in prison who says, it's not about what you see in front of us. It's about something deeper. Um, Paul also is writing to Ephesus. And I had a picture of Ephesus, but I forgot to send it to Nate. Um, Ephesus is a very complicated city. It is flourishing right now. In uh, Not right now. <laughs> Back in the day. Remember, like, remember, we're in the Bible right now. So in the time he's writing this, it's flourishing. It's, um, it's a, a city of trade. Every idea and every, every nation is coming into Ephesus. And, and there's all these different ideas going around. They've got this huge library. Um, they've got lots of money going around. They're oppressed by the Romans, but it's going well. All different people from all different parts of the empire are coming into Ephesus. It's huge. It's growing really, really quickly, and it's quite a prosperous place. And I want to kind of look at that for a second, because these are the people that Paul is talking to, and when he's talking to them about being in a fight, he's talking to them about their specific situation. And it's actually really close to our situation right now in Western culture. We've lots of really great ideas being thrown around and lots of different things being thought about, being very progressive. If you think about Ephesus in the day, it's not like a, a backward, like no one's going in their town that's stuck in tradition. It's, it's very much in the forefront of everything that's going on. Every, every different nation is coming into Ephesus. Um, intellectuals are, are, are having their histories written. There's lots of things that are happening in Ephesus. So you would say that's a very progressive city even though it's like ancient Rome, for that it would be pretty progressive. And I would say that in the time that we're living in too, we have that culmination of all different ideas and cultures coming together as well. So this spiritual warfare and what he's talking about here is really, really, really well suited for our current situation and time and the different things that we're seeing every single day. Is that cool? Is everyone kind of seeing that? Fantastic. Um, I just want to... So one more thing about Ephesus is that um, if you were in the church of Ephesus, it wouldn't have been an easy, easy road for you. It's not like they were like super open to being Christian. Um, but also you had lots of different Lots of different gods and goddesses and things that are going in that town as well. It w- it's famously known for the Temple of Artemis, the, the goddess of, I think it was hunting, but um, really big, huge religious kind of fervor in that, country, in that city. And we might look at our culture right now, we might go, well, we don't really have the Temple of Artemis like down the road. Like people aren't going and sacrificing goats to Zeus and things like that or to, to Roman gods and things like that. And we're not saying that like Scott Morrison is a god like they were saying that like the Caesars were gods. But if we think about the different things that are in our culture, we can very easily see an illusion between the things that are held high in our culture as gods or idols or ideas that permeate everyone's life. Where it could be uh, the pursuit of wealth or greed, or it could be it could be lust and different things like that. But lots of different things that are held in our society 
that have that special place that kind of like permeate into our very um, being of what it is to be human. So you see that like even though we would not say that we're in a religious society right now, we still have that same thing of being things being put in places to affect the human soul where they shouldn't be. Like God's the only one that has that that role of being the God, the, the king, the ruler of who we are. Yet we still do that in Western culture. So if you have that kind of context, when he's talking about fighting, when he's talking about um, not flesh and blood, but powers and principalities, you can kind of see how it would connect with the church of Ephesus when they're literally looking outside their window at this huge, gold, ornate, beautiful temple that is one of the seven wonders of the world today. Like, that's right in their face, this spiritual element attached to it. Okay. Now we're going to move into, like, my favorite part, which is I'm going to be a little bit tactical and and warfare-like. I'm not, like, I'm not a weird person who loves war, but I do... Thank you. I'm glad that you said it's okay. I, I, I've, I'm fascinated by um, ancient warfare. I'm fascinated by like that part of humanity that I think that we shouldn't wage war against people, but there is something in us that's like passion. You know, it's like something in me anyway. I get very when I think about these things. Um, and when I when I read these verses, I I automatically go to well, if we are in a fight, then we should approach this as a fight in a tactical way. I mean, the devil has a bit of a jump on us. He's been around since the beginning, and we have not been. And we've messed up all different things in the way when he's always had the same goal of lying, killing, stealing, destroying humanity. He's, he's pretty good at it by now. He understands us really well. So if we approach this without thinking that we need to be tactical, we need to understand, we need to approach this in a warfare kind of way, then we are already going to have our legs swept from underneath us because we're, you need to make sure you don't give the devil too much power that he's like unstoppable, but you definitely need to make sure that you respect the fact that he knows humanity quite well. Is that fair enough to say? I mean, we're all sinners and that's kind of where he lives. So he knows how to make us think certain ways. Um, and I want to just put out the front when we talk through this that I don't for a second think that it is like regular warfare where it's one army that's big against another army that's big. It's very clear through the Bible that the devil has lost. He is defeated completely. Um, we're going to skip through heaps of verses nay, and go straight to um, Colossians 2.15. One of my favorite verses when it comes to spiritual warfare And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them on the cross. This is the picture of a returning general bringing all of the captured soldiers in shame through the town while the rest of the town laugh at them and rejoice in the victory of the king. So let's put that in in perspective. This is what we're told has happened to the devil. Disarming... And there's one um, verse um, translation that says embarrassing, making like an embarrassment of them. Public spectacle, then triumphing of them over the cross. As soon as Jesus died on the cross, he won the ultimate victory. So we're talking about warfare, but it's not warfare like we could lose. We've won. But there is a lot more going on to this fight than just the, the ultimate win at the end. Um, 
And if you haven't highlighted that verse in your Bible, that is like one of the most empowering verses ever. When you're struggling with, with guilt, when you're struggling with, um, with different things coming into your life, to have that, that Jesus made a public spectacle of the enemy, that is awesome. And I love that picture of like him just reigning on his horse at the front. And it's like they've got nothing left. Um, but if we're going to be tactical, we need to approach this um, with a few different things in mind. The first thing we need to do, and you might know this, what's the first thing you need to know if you're going to war? Does anyone? Aim, objective. That's actually what I put second, but definitely is a good one. But you need to know your enemy. You, you can't... If I did this illustration at youth on Friday... If I was like talking smack to Tom and I'd never met Tom before, and I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna box Tom. It's gonna like in the ring, him and me, one on one. I'm gonna smash him. Then I actually met Tom. Well, I would know that that's not what's gonna happen. If I've if I've gone into a battle without knowing my enemy, that is stupid. That's just downright stupid to go into a fight without knowing who your enemy is. So we're gonna spend a little time identifying what what the enemy is. What he is and what he isn't. And I think a lot of us probably know what he isn't. But I'll do this just because I think that sometimes we can we can underestimate how pervasive and sneaky he is and things that we don't even think are things. Yet before you know it, we've sacrificed truth for a lie so simply. Um, the devil is not a scary guy with a pitchfork and horns and a tail. In fact, if you've ever read C.S. Lewis's The Screwtape Letters, like one of the big things that he talks about is um, this. It's, it's all fiction, but it's a really interesting read. He's this, this demon is there. He's about to talk to his patient. And then, then the, the senior demon stops him and goes, oh, don't do that, do that. Like it's better that they don't know that we're here. Because if, if, if the devil's like, boom, here I am, none of us would would start following him none of us would would start like just living our life regularly and forgetting it we would be very shocked and we would turn to jesus and we would pray harder than we ever had before it would be like the opposite goal it's it's kind of like the best thing that he can do is to to make us think he doesn't exist that he's not there um and i think sometimes we can attribute things to him that we shouldn't like sometimes we've just made bad decisions and sometimes we've just Stuff happens, and it's not really, there's like things behind there. But then also sometimes we can live our life as if that we're just waltzing through and there's no fight at all. So we need to know that the devil is not the cartoon. He is he's legit, and he's real, and he wants to hurt us, but he's not going to be out the front in your face about it. Because um, if he did, it would be so much easier to fight him. It would be like, oh, I know exactly where he is and exactly what he's doing, so I can see his pitchfork over there, so I'm not going to go and do that thing. So if he's not like that, then what is he? Um, we've heard the verse that the enemies come to kill, steal, and destroy. And... I want to just paint the picture of, 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 of what he's like because it makes me really angry. And it's, it's like, it's, yeah. He wants to hurt people. He wants to steal futures from people. He wants to make them apathetic so they never fulfill their purpose. 
And we are so big at C3 people about people finding their purpose because it's such an amazing thing to live in your purpose. Well, the enemy would want you to live with no purpose. He, he wants you to feel like there's no future and no hope. In a dark place where there is, there is nothing good there. And not because he wins in the end. This is like we know he loses. We've seen the verse that says he's made a public spectacle. He's doing it just because he wants to hurt. He wants to take things away from God. Um, Pastor Ryan said so beautifully that we're eternal beings. This is an eternal thing. Well, if eternity is him losing, then why would he even be fighting? And the purpose is it causes much mayhem and pain along the way. Like we have to not have the cartoon version of the devil because I think the cartoon version of the devil is actually pretty nice compared to the real version where for no other reason but just to cause pain, he will take away things that are important to you. Um, I, have a, I have an example, and I was, I was tossing out whether to share or not, but I think I will because I think I just, it's really hard to put into words. But I, I recently went to, um, to Myanmar. And recently, I mean like two years ago, but recently for me, I haven't gone anywhere else. So the last country I went to was Myanmar. Um, and we went to the, we went to the, the big um, pagoda where all the tourists were. And it was, you know, looking at it and Buddhist pagoda and it's like, it's sad when you see the money put in the tins and sad when you see poverty outside the gates, but 62 tons of gold inside the gates. It's like, that bothered me a lot. But it was just a touristy thing and it was, it was very much just a Westerner thing, and it was, that's what it was. But another time we went to, um, we didn't go just for fun. Like, we, we were in, someone took us there to show us the, the touristy sites. We were, like, finding different temples we could go to. And, but we went to this river temple, and it was in the middle of nowhere, in a, a very poor farming town, in the middle of a river, and this river was, It was disgusting, and it was muddy, and it was horrible, but it was also the fastest-flowing river I've ever seen in my life, and it scared me. I didn't want to get in the boat because I thought I was going to die. Um, so we can laugh at it because I'm alive, but um, they would, would leave the wharf going this way up the river, and you would end up at the temple there because the boat wasn't strong enough to actually fight the currents. They just went forward and let it drift while the boat's pushing it forward. <laughs> It was insane. Um, and then someone like slipped when they were getting on and was, they were fine too. It was just horrible. For me, being a bit of a stressor, horrible experience. Um, we finally got there and we didn't die in the river. Went in there and there was only a few people there. And there was this, this lady and she was praying. And she was, she was down in front of the statue and she was praying. And there was millions of... Um, Chet, um, Burmese Chet, they're their money in all these boxes. Like so much money in a town where they are struggling to survive every day. And there was one woman and she was there and she's praying and she was, she was just there and she, was, she looked sick and you could almost tell that she was praying for, for healing or something. And I just remember so clearly being in that place and feeling, feeling as though the devil was just there laughing at her. Just being like, just... Just, just laughing, being like, "Ha, huh, you're never gonna get what you're seeking." And like the, the, it's like that. It was almost like he was enjoying watching the pain of her praying, knowing full well that it wasn't gonna work. 
And like, I just want to see that example because that's the kind of evil, like horribleness that we're looking at here. There's no mercy, not like Jesus, where there's mercy and grace and no condemnation. It is just pain and hurt. And I wanted to share that because I remember leaving that place and having this picture in my head of a, of a dancing bear. And I'm a weird thinker. I have the weirdest, like, visuals. This dancing bear of, like, this, like, a bear being so strong and so, like, could totally take everyone out in this room without even a care in the world. It could eat you all. Um, but yet this bear was chained up and everyone was laughing at it, doing tricks. And it was like, that was the image that I had of, of the devil and this woman praying where she was like a child of God. Oh, man. Child of God made in God's image there with hopelessness and that being an enjoy a enjoyment from the enemy. Oh, sorry, that was a bit, I'm a bit emotional about that. So we need to know the enemy. He wants to hurt us. He isn't cartoony. He isn't playing by any rules. And we are in a battle. Now go back to that verse, like uh, battles against flesh and blood and powers and principalities. I would, I would, having that as my context of what the enemy is and then reading that, be like, why is Paul so chill about this? <laughs> like, just put on the armor, guys. It'll be fine. Like, it's a, it's a big deal. But it's because of that whole victory in the end. Like, it's not as though God's been like, there's an enemy out there. Off you go. Have fun. He's set us up with things. He's, he's made it so we can actually stand in his truth. We can stand firm against this thing that's overwhelmingly painful. We can stand firm against it. Um, cool. We might have, like, just a break. Is that okay with everyone? We have a break there and we get to the next thing. Fantastic. Have, like, a two-minute break to get some drink and some cookies and then come back in a second. Okay, grab your cookies and come and sit back down. Let's get into this. Part two, the fighty part.
Thank you. That was actually super helpful because <laughs> I'm sitting here just like, ah, the devil. <laughs> okay, so now we're going to... Then we're going to be a bit more practical. We're going to get into our what's, a, what's his objective, what's our objective, how are we going to do this, what's the battlefield. If we were having a war, we know our enemy and the battlefield set. We need to kind of know what the rules of engagement are of what, or how do we go about doing this. Um, and I want to paint a little picture of, of the battle that Paul would know of. Now, Paul being a Roman citizen, pretty well off, um, but he also lived not in Rome. So he lived where lots of fights would actually happen. So... When there was tussling for power and stuff like that in Rome, they would never actually fight near Rome because that's messy. And people who are in charge don't want messiness at their front door. It makes people... You don't want to see violence where the money is because then people won't want to won't fight. It's better to have wars far away from the power so people don't think about it. Um, it's, there's a really awesome quote by a, um, a Roman general and he says, um, they make dessert and call it peace. And he's pretty much saying like, in Rome, everyone thinks it's peaceful, but as soon as you step out there, you realize there's a lot of stuff that is not peaceful, but it's just... Anyway, so Paul would have been pretty accustomed to what ba- what battlefields and what fighting would look like in the ancient world. Um, it, wasn't, it wasn't from distance, it was really close, and it wasn't from, um, well, we have more men, so we're just going to like pummel you. Oh, but we're like got ninjas, so we can beat you. It was pretty much just starve people, make them realize they can't possibly win, intimidate them, and then overpower them on the battlefield. And that's what we've got to do. And what they would do, and this is important because when he's talking about stand and stand firm and stand firm in the gospel of truth and all those different things, he's talking about standing your ground because that was how that you would fight a battle. So I'm going to get these three boys to stand up here. And Tom, you're on my side. Okay, we're going to reenact... So when Paul says like stand firm, when he says stand your ground, and when he's talking about um about like the being in the battle, it's not this I'm out the battle, I'm in the battle. Now I'm out of the battle. He's talking about an ancient battle where you're in and you're in. You are you are in it. You've you've put your belt on, you've girded your loins, you are now in battle and you are pushing. And you're trying to make ground, but you are pushing. You are pushing and pushing, pushing the whole time. And that's not to be it's not to make us feel bad. That's just the reality of what the warfare he saw. But then he says that we're victorious and those things. It's like, well, we win in the end, but it's not going to be like a, huh, we win, let's stroll through. 
it's that pushing. The devil's lost his footing. He's lost all power. He's, he loses. We are pushing him back, but it still is that push. So how does, how does the enemy come at us if we're victorious in the end and he can't be out front because if he's like stepping out there out front, then we'll be more aware of him. How does he get to us? And he gets to us through ideas and through manipulation. In fact, we've seen textbook devil work in Genesis 3, where he talks to Eve. He's like, did God really say not to eat that? He didn't grab the apple and force feed it to Eve. Eve ate it. Like, just think that for a second. Eve knew she shouldn't, and yet she did. And all the devil had to do was, was twist that truth a little bit twist it just slightly, and then she did it. So our ideas and what truth is, and the power of that is the fact that Jesus loves us so much, he gave us free will that we actually make choices. Jesus has won all victory, but we have free will to choose whatever we want. And the devil being more like guerrilla warfare than out front warfare, understands that that is how to get at us to find those little chinks in the armor, to find those little, little moments where he can come in and make us question what truth really is. And um, I wanted to get everyone to talk about the different stories that you hear or the different things that you hear in society at the moment. We probably won't have that discussion, but just think about the different ideas that are going through society at the moment and think of the different truths. I have my truth, you have your truth. We all have different truths. This whole idea that Everything is okay. everything's right. If it's if it's good, go for it. You do you. Those little things like that come straight into the truth of who you are. Just a little tiny idea that that no no no. The truth is that we're created in God's image. That we're called to be these people. We're called to stand firm. Those sorts of things. But you can see how like a little idea can come in and just like kind of work its way through that. Um, a great example of how this whole atypical warfare or psychological warfare works. And if you look up atypical warfare and you realize that like humanity knows about all these like how to trick people, the devil's like the master of that. In fact, Jesus even says he's the father of lies. When he lies, he speaks his native language. Everything he says is a lie and the best lies are wrapped in a little bit of truth, but they're still lies. And atypical warfare is this idea of you don't even have to worry about fighting if you can defeat an enemy before they get to the battlefield. If you can, if you can trap a Christian in this box so they never realize who they are, the devil hasn't to fight you. It's not even an issue. You're, you're off the field. You're not a, not, a, not a worry. And that's more what the devil's into. He can't possibly fight against Jesus. He can't possibly fight against someone who knows who they are in Christ but he can stop us from realizing who, who we really are. And there was um, a propaganda master, the father of modern um, public relations, called Edward Bernays. And he was given the task of trying to sell cigarettes to women because women weren't smoking cigarettes. Um, and the tobacco company said, well, can you try and make that happen? Can you try and sell it to women? And he's he like, yep, no worries. He got the most popular movie stars at the time 
to start smoking in all the movies. He started getting the most beautiful movie stars to smoke after certain scenes to associate that with that. And then in the masterstroke for his campaign, I'm not promoting this. I'm like, this is like a really good illustration of how the devil can weave ideas through. At a women's liberation march where people are fighting for um, the rights of women, he paid hundreds of models to join the crowd. And at the very moment where the press were taking photos for newspapers, he got them all to whip out a cigarette and smoke. And then he associated smoking a cigarette to having freedom from oppression of men. And the thing is, it worked incredibly. More women were smoking than men after the campaign started. Just think of that for a second. He just had a few different ideas. The idea of freedom. Hands up, think freedom's a great thing. Freedom is an awesome thing. Where does freedom come from? Jesus. <laughs> Not smoking, <laughs> but Jesus. But here we go, this fundamental human thing of wanting to be free and having freedom associated to the wrong thing turns to this. It's this perfect example of how the enemy gets to you. So how, how will he do it specifically? Divide and conquer, separate you from people, offense. Dan here is a legend, but let's say he doesn't invite me to a barbecue. <laughs> so mean. Now, there's lots of reasons why that could happen, but the enemy's not going to be like, maybe he just forgot. No, 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 no. He doesn't like me. It's, it's, it's good to have people around. It's good to feel belonging. It's good to feel like you're connected. And when that's hurt, that's a bit of hurt there, but when it comes in and causes distance, that's dividing. Tell you what, if I went to Dan and said, hey, Dan, I really missed not being invited to the barbecue, he'd be like, I'm so sorry. I've completely forgot. No issue there. But we don't do that. We just keep it to ourselves and we keep it buried in here and burning and burning away. Devil doesn't have to try. All he has to do is maybe he did it because he doesn't like you and then leaves us alone and while we let it turn into bitterness in here. Why would he do that? Well, because there's no hope in the world for the devil to try and beat me when I have Dan with next to me praying for me and helping me like overcome all these things. But if I'm on my own and I'm angry at everyone, I'm not on the battlefield. I'm not a player anymore. Misinformation. Is that really a truth? What do Christians really believe? Did Jesus really say that? Surely Jesus would think this. So easy. And then step by step, all of a sudden those stories in society are seeming a little bit more appealing because they don't make you question some of the things you're doing. Misinformation. Ah, to pacify. Ah, you... you you did that thing back there, as if you could be used for God. Boom. So much easier to fight a Christian who doesn't think they're worth anything than it is to fight someone who knows their worth in Jesus. So much easier to overcome a church where everyone thinks they can't do anything than one that knows that they're together in unity and they can do all things through Christ who strengthens them. So how do we... Finishing up now. How do we identify and counter those things? The number, way, number one way of knowing 
is the very first thing that he puts on the, the armor. And I know I'm not meant to talk about the belt, but kind of like you can't talk about all this stuff without talking about the belt. Gird your loins, prepare for battle is what gird your loin means. Paul literally says, prepare for battle by putting on truth. How do you put on truth? You read this. If you know the word of God and you know who Jesus is, you will identify straight away when something is not from him. As soon as a little voice pops in that says, oh, how could you how could you preach on Sunday night? I mean, you're just like fully like messed up. I don't I'm just <laughs> Or you had a you had a, a a fight with someone. How could you come and talk about this? As soon as you realize that and go, oh, well, I can because, you know, there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. I'm forgiven by the blood of Jesus. That's truth. As soon as that lie comes in, you can tell, well, that is, that is contrary to the word of God. It has to be a lie. There's no, no mistake that Paul put truth first because the truth, every single piece of armor hangs on to that belt of truth. If we know what the truth is, we can not only stand against every lie, but we can also identify every single lie in other people's situations. If, we, if we're at church and we hear someone say, oh, I just don't know if I'm good enough to ever like step out into that ministry. You can be like, whoa, didn't Jesus die for you? Isn't that what the truth of the Bible right here that you're set free through the blood of Jesus? And we can identify all those different things. And then it even says this in the Bible in 2 Corinthians 10.5. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. How do we fight against sneaky little lies that come in? We know what the truth is. We prepare for battle by knowing the truth and we take captive every thought that comes in and we interrogate it. We go, is this truth? Does it line up with what Jesus says about me, who I am, what I'm called for? And if not, I'm not going to leave place for the devil to come into here. I'm just going to pray to finish, but I think I think we might stand for prayer, actually. Um, when you study, look at, or talk about spiritual warfare, it always becomes something that pops up in the next week. Um, so we're going to pray now. But we're just going to um, get ourselves into a place of surrender or, or reverence or however that looks for you. And we're actually just going to ask for God to help us to know the truth and to identify when it's not truth. To examine those things in our heart and go, well, is there something in here that's just like tugging a little bit, like a thorn in my side or like a little a little lie that I'm hanging on to that shouldn't be there. And no one is perfect. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. That there is like a huge truth to have in your mind. So let's just um, get ready. Lord God, we thank you that you have made a public spectacle of the enemy. Oh, you are victorious. Lord, thank you that on the cross you won the ultimate victory. Lord, that when you said it is finished, 
you meant it is finished and never to be repeated. It is done and is done forever. We thank you, Lord, that you rule and reign in our hearts, in this house, and in our life, Lord God. And we want to give you all honor and glory, Lord, for who you are and who you are to us. Thank you, Lord God, for your truth. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for who you call us to be. I pray right now, Lord God, as we go into our workplaces and schools and unis, and we are bombarded with different stories from the world, Lord. I pray, Lord, that we will stand firm in truth, Lord God. Lord, that we will know your truth, we will know your word. Lord, I pray, Lord, that if anything pops up into our mind, whether it be from the enemy or be our own thoughts, Lord God, I pray, Lord, that you will highlight it to us as a lie and not truth. I pray, Lord, that you'll help us, Lord God, to identify the lies that are being told in different areas, Lord God, and help us, Lord God, to know the truth to combat that, Lord. Lord, we thank you that you are victorious. We thank you that you win in the end and that you win in every single battle. And right now, Lord God, as we gird our loins, as we prepare for battle and step into everything that is going on in life, Lord God, we pray, Lord God, that you empower us, Lord God, with everything that you have given us, Lord, to stand firm. And Lord, I pray for your truth, Lord God, that it will rest in our hearts, that it will become like a second language to us, Lord, or first language, Lord God, that we will speak truth and know truth. And all truth is found in you, Jesus. And I pray this in your beautiful and almighty name, Jesus. Amen.